I want to thank you, Eastside, for all the support and love and creativity you have brought to us. As Sarah said, it is good to have you back in this house, though many of you, um, and singing and engaging, and we're glad to have you with us on this Father's Day. Gentlemen, Happy Father's Day. Good to have you here uh, with us. If you did not get an email from us this week that included a gift certificate to Frazier's Ice Cream Shop, for those of you who are Anderson natives, you understand this is a very special gift. And uh, that has, was emailed to every man over 18 that we have an email address for. So if you didn't get one and you're online in the chat room, there's a place you can go and you can uh, give us your email information. We'll send you one. If you're on campus, um, we're going to actually give you a certificate as you leave today. Now, for those of you who got an email and you've already taken a gift certificate today and you have two, bless you, all right? Uh, just go right ahead, use whatever you want to use. Use them both. We, we don't care. T today, I want to I continue this series called Living Your Best Life. And I want to I talk to you for a few minutes from a, a passage of Scripture that uh, is one of those passages we just run past. And we run past it for a lot of reasons. One is because it, um, it's a pattern that is repeated over and over again in the life of the Apostle Paul. It's in Acts chapter 17, and it's about Paul's experience in a place called Berea. But, but what I want you to do today when we look through this passage is I want you to make a connection, dads, Sons, daughters, I want you to make a connection to your life. A, a connection that is more than just, oh, that happened 2,000 years ago, now it happens in my life. But, but a connection about the way that God deals with us and the way he dealt with the Apostle Paul and the way he deals with all people. You see, there's a, there's a thing on Father's Day it's kind of like Mother's Day. You know, at Mother's Day, there's a, there's a sense for some people that's a hard day. That, that's a hard day because mom has passed away, or, or that's a, a, a hard day because you're a, a lady and you're trying to conceive a child and, and you're not able to do that. And it, it's, a, it's a hard day for lots of reasons. And, and yet for years at Father's Day, I think we've kind of, just like we do this passage in Acts 17, we've kind of like skipped on past it because, because there's a little bit of some pain and some difficulty in, in this day as well. A psychologist call it a father wound. If you've experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. It's a, a place in your life where, where the male that was to be your dad, perhaps they, they were in your life for a little while, and then they were gone. Or in our current society, uh, the statistics tell us that that more and more children are being raised in single-parent households, and many of those are being raised by single moms. And, and so there's this, this absence of a godly, Christian, consistent male who is letting you know the things we just prayed for, for this little girl, the, the, the things that, that God is supposed to let us know. So when you, when you hear about a heavenly father and you didn't have an earthly father, for some of us, for some of us that's, a, that's a tough, tough thing to hear. For, for others, that father wound runs a different way. You had an earthly father, but he was abusive. 
He was someone who, who really misused the name of Jesus. I've, I've told some of you before, one of the, the big eye-opening experiences in my life was preaching the funeral for a man that, that our church family in Tennessee thought was a, was a wonderful, godly guy. I mean, all the appearances to everyone else were that he was just this wonderful, godly man. But his children came to see me after the funeral and began to explain to me that when they were little, he would put them, he would put them when they were bad, when they did something wrong, he, he would put them in a chair in a basement, tie them to the chair and put a Bible in their lap and tell them, when you memorize this page of the Bible, then you can get out. That was the way he disciplined them. It was no wonder that many of them didn't like church at all. Their father wound was different than just an absent father. They had been the subject of an abusive father. And so this morning, I, I realized Father's Day is great. It's a wonderful day. It's my first one as a grandpa. I'm all excited about that. But I also know that for some of us, it's a tough day. It's a tough day. Those, those wounds run deep. And, and so this story from the life of the Apostle Paul, th this story that lets us know God doesn't forget us and God doesn't overlook those, those deep-seated wounds, it's, a, it's an important story. Listen as I read it for you from Acts chapter 17. I'm, I'm going to start reading at verse 10. It's really a, a rather short story, but it's an important one. Listen. The brothers, that would be the, the followers of Jesus who had been converted to Christianity under Paul's teaching in Thessalonica. You remember we talked last week in Thessalonica, Jason and the other brothers and sisters in the church there had to post bond for Paul to, to, to keep him from being arrested. And so when that happens, part of posting bond was to make sure that, that Paul and Silas didn't stay in the town. So the brothers and sisters in Thessalonica, after posting bond for Paul, immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. This sounds familiar? This is what Paul does every time he goes to a new town. Now, these Jews in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. I always like that word. They're more noble? What, what does that mean? Well, the, the, the actual language there means that, that they were people who were more willing to have an open mind about what might be true. They were people who had been in a place where they didn't know or believe that everything they knew was the only way. And instead, they were willing as noble people to, to be people of thought and consideration. So when Paul came into their synagogue teaching that Jesus was the Messiah, instead of reacting in anger like the people in Thessalonica, these, these people of more noble character, they received the word of God more eagerly. In fact, Luke tells us with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things that Paul was saying were actually true. Many of them, therefore, believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the Word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too agitating and stirring up the crowds, just like they had done in Thessalonica. Then the brothers in Berea 
immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained in Berea. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So here's this little story, right? Tucked away in the passages of Scripture about Paul leaving one town under threat of harm, and this time he steps off of the main highway, the Ignatian Way, the, the one that ran all the way to Rome. That's what he had been traveling in this second missionary journey. But now he goes just a little way down that road, and then he turns off about 20 miles and goes into this little town called Berea, where he finds a synagogue. And it's a, it's a pivot point. It's a great place to launch the gospel into other parts of that area. And now he's teaching in that synagogue. And, and here's... Here's what I want you to know. Here's the connect I want you to make to the father wounds. Here's the connect I want you to make to the the difficulties some of us have on Father's Day. And that's this. Even though he had been run out of Thessalonica, even though he had been put in jail in Philippi before Thessalonica, even though everywhere Paul went, there were people who heard him talk about Jesus and said, you know what, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't need that in my life. In fact, There were people who every town he went to would not just say, I reject it, but they're like, you don't have a right to teach that because it goes against what we believe. And so they would militarize themselves, quite honestly. They would go out and they would get the rabble, the the people from the city that had no foundation, and they would get them up and arms. They would present Paul to authorities. They were always reacting negatively and then acting on that negativity. And here he comes again. He doesn't give up. Have you ever seen somebody like that? Somebody who who every time they fall down, they get up. Every time life is tough, every time they fail, every time something happens, they get up. And look what happens. Every time Paul gets up, every time Paul and Silas walk forward in their journey, Every time they they go to the next place, look what happens. Jesus, Jesus always uses them. Jesus always does something in their life. See, here's, here's what I want you to know this Father's Day. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you're a person who said to Jesus, you know what, I want you to be in charge of my life. I, I I bow my knee, I confess my sins, I I give you control of my life. If that's who you are, if you said that to Jesus Christ, here's what I want you to know. Your past failures will not keep God from using you for his kingdom. In fact, your past failures will not prevent God's work in your life. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what's been done to you, Your past cannot dictate your present or your future if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Because as Paul would write in another place, when we are in Christ, the old has passed away and all things have become new. So I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what you've done in your life. I don't know how deep your sin is. And honestly, I don't care because God doesn't care. What God cares about is whether or not you're willing to trust him that whatever's happened to you in your past, whatever pain has taken place, whatever failure's been marking your life, that if you're willing to say to him, hey, Jesus, take control of my life. 
Jesus, I accept your forgiveness for my failure, and I want you to, to guide me. I want you to order my steps. I want you to teach me new ways of thinking. I want you to bring me a new life. He is faithful, faithful and just to do that. And your past failure will not keep you from seeing God work in your life. I mean, think about it. In Philippi, Paul threw a demon out of a girl and ended up in jail. I mean, he did a good thing and ended up in jail. In jail, an earthquake happened, and, and he kept all the prisoners there so the, the jailer didn't take his own life. It was a good thing that he did. But they still, they were still going to try him. He goes to Thessalonica. He's trying to tell people Jesus died for. Hey, your sins can be forgiven. Jesus came to give you new life. And what happens? They get upset because what he's teaching is different, and they run him out of town again. Time after time after time, Paul was the greatest failure in history. We look at him and say, he's the apostle Paul. I can't live like him. Yes, you can. All of us can fail. The question is, do we fail forward, or do we fail permanently? You say, well, what's the difference, Pastor? Well, failing forward means you get up and you trust Jesus. And he takes you out of your failure, out of your fallenness, out of your pain, out of your hurt, out of your wounds, and he takes you to the next place and he keeps working in your life. And you grow. But failing permanently means you believe the lie. What lie? The lie that says you're worthless. The lie that says you don't have what it takes. The great lie. The lie that nobody would love you enough to forgive you of your sin. But if you're a disciple of Jesus, your past will not prevent God's work in your life. That, that's why the Scriptures teach us that when we, when we actually get up and go forward out of our Thessalonica, out of our Philippi, we find a Berea. We find a place where God will use us. We find a place where God's work in us heals us, and His work in us heals others. The, the, the other thing that you've got to pick up here, though, is that it's not just that that God will continue to work and your, your past doesn't prevent you from experiencing that. No. See, as a disciple of Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus, your past, well, it, it really won't, it, it won't keep God from protecting you in those tough times in your life. See, there's a tendency among us to, to say, well, you know, I don't deserve God's grace. I don't deserve God's love. I mean, if something bad happens, well, yeah, I, I deserve that. But that's not what happened. When, when Paul got to Berea, these people of noble character restored his faith in Jewish folk, restored his faith in the people of a Hebrew heritage, restored his faith because as they listened to it, they 
they believed. And God was at work. But word got back to Thessalonica. And that's when it really is important to understand because, see, there's some of you who think, well, if anybody ever really knew who I was, if anybody ever really knew what I did, if everybody ever really knew the depth of my depravity, then there's no way that they would love me. There's no way that God would love me. But did you notice in this story what happened for Paul and Silas and Timothy in Berea? was that God, God gave them protection. Because when these people from Thessalonica came dragging the past into town with them and upset the people and started another riot, who, who took care of them? Who got them out of town quickly? It was those people who had accepted Jesus in Berea. In fact, if you keep reading the book of Acts, you'll discover that there are people from Berea who joined Paul and continue to travel with Paul for the rest of his ministry. There are people from Berea, Jewish people from Berea, members of the synagogue from Berea, who for the rest of their lives are dedicated to Jesus Christ, and they, they are a part of an entourage, an entourage that goes with the Apostle Paul through the hard times, through the good times. See, what God does is this. Not only does he not take your past and ruin your present and your future, but he actually takes your past, and he uses it in such a way that he provides protection for you Protection as you move forward. This Father's Day, I, I want you to hear that. I want you to embrace that. I want you to know that God is at work and He is at work in your life. Because you see, when, when you let Him work in your life, it's not just that, that He's going to take your past and remove it as a barrier. He's going to take your past and use it as a launch pad into his presence, a launch pad into your future. He's going to protect you and then get this. It's even more beautiful than that. He's actually going to make provision for you because as a disciple of Jesus, your past does not prevent or hinder God's provision for you in your present and your future. Years ago, I, uh, I encountered a, one of the greatest preachers this country has ever seen. His, his, his name was Fred Craddock. Uh, Fred Craddock had taught at Phillips Seminary out in Oklahoma and, and then at Emory University, which is where I met him when I was studying there. Dr. Craddock had this amazing ability to take the New Testament and and the stories and the truth of the New Testament and, and put it into, into a, a level where people could understand it. He was the first preacher that I, I ever read who, as Kayla Harden told you a few weeks ago on Memorial Day when she said, hey, you know, I'm from a family of storytellers. <laughs> well, Fred Craddock is a storyteller par excellence. And a few years ago, he passed away. But over the years, his stories became legendary. And one of them, one of them actually changed my life when I first heard him tell it. 
It was a story of a time when, when Dr. Craddock and his wife had, had gone up into East Tennessee. He was originally from Tennessee, and he was on vacation. And, and like many of us who have family in the mountains, when there's an opportunity to get to the mountains, particularly in the summer when it's so hot everywhere else, you go to the mountains. And Dr. Craddock went up to, a, to an inn, uh, the Blackberry Inn, actually, uh, up near Sevierville, Tennessee, and then had one of those beautiful dining rooms that overlooked the vistas of the Smoky Mountains. He said he and his wife were there, and, and as they were having their, their dinner, they noticed this elderly gentleman who kept going around. You, you thought maybe he was the host for the, for the restaurant because he's stopping at like every table and saying, hey, how you doing? He's talking to people. And, and, uh, and so he, he comes to Dr. Craddock's table, and you know, he says, I'm here on vacation. I don't want to see people. I'm, I don't want to see students. I, I don't want to do anything. And this older gentleman just comes up and, and, and says, hi. He's like, we're trying to be nice. And the man says, you mind if I pull up a chair? He's like, what? Well, what are you here? Well, I'm on vacation. Oh, really? Well, what do you do? He said, I'm trying to get this man away from my table. And he says, well, I'm a preacher. Oh, you're a preacher. Hey, I've got a preacher story for you. You got to know, when we're on vacation, the last thing any of us as preachers want is another preacher story. But the old man wouldn't stop. He said, you see, I, I, I was born up in these mountains. And when I was born up in these mountains, my mama knew who my daddy was. My daddy was actually a physician in town. But he was engaged to another woman when, when he and my mother conceived me. And it was the talk of that little town. He was the only doctor in the town, and, and everybody knew him, and they knew he was engaged to this other lady, and now suddenly my mama's pregnant with me. He said he married the other woman and moved out of town with a bad reputation, but I was left in that town. He said, all my life, that story followed me. I'd walk through town and people would be going, yeah, okay, yeah, we see, yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's, that's your daddy, yeah, mm -hmm, that's, that's his boy. He said it became really quite, quite depressing. And then one day, one day, they, 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 they said there was, a, there was a revival happening at the little country church outside of town. And I was intrigued by that. In those days, a, a revival in the mountains was like, that was the best entertainment we had. <laughs> and so I, I went down to see the show at the revival. And this big, tall preacher in a big black suit, Prince Albert hat, just, just the stereotypical guy. He's preaching the gospel, and I'm intrigued by him. He's, he's amazing. He can tell stories. He, he can do all of this. And, and then at the end, at the end, of, the, at the end of the service, I'm, I'm watching people flock around him. He said, I'm, I'm just trying to get out because I just don't like crowds because every time I'm in a crowd, somebody's like, oh, I, I know who your daddy is. And said, sure enough, as I'm, I got queued up in an aisle, and here came that preacher down the aisle, and, and he looked over at me, and he said, boy, you're new here tonight, aren't you? Uh, yes, sir. I said, you know, I, 
I see something in you. So I, you bear a strange resemblance. He said, oh, man. He said, my heart just sank. He said, boy, I know your daddy. He said, I, if I could have run, I would have gotten out of the room. He said, but I, I couldn't. There was nowhere to go. It was people everywhere. Here I am, it's my worst nightmare. This preacher, this, this guy I've never met before, he's about to call me out in front of all these people and bring my shame in front of everybody. And he said, the preacher took a long, thin finger and pointed it at my face and said, yep, I see it. You bear a striking resemblance to your father, your heavenly father. Son, you are a child of the king. Dr. Craddock said, well, the ice cream had melted on my blackberry cobbler by that time. And I, uh, I was just dumbfounded. I, I looked at him as the elderly gentleman got up to leave and said, sir, said, can you tell me what's your name? Oh, my name's Ben. Ben Hooper. Okay, thank you. And then as he walked away, Dr. Credick said, I, I remembered the fact that in the early 1900s, 1911 to be exact, the people of Tennessee elected a governor. In fact, they elected him twice, named Ben Hooper. He was the first governor who had been born illegitimately, as they used to say. But on his watch, as governor of Tennessee, there was this amazing grace-filled time during a tough, tough time in the world. Because you see, when you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, your past doesn't keep God from working in you. When you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, your, your past doesn't keep God from protecting you. And your past, when you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't hinder God making provision for you. So on this Father's Day, no matter how deep your father wounds are, I, I want to tell you, although I'm not that tall and I don't have a Prince Albert hat, I, I see someone in you. You are a son. You are a daughter of a king. And he gave everything for you.